Welcome to the Eaton Asphalt Podcast. My name is Ian Bakkes, alongside, as always, my buddy Matthew Marconcini here. We are past a break week. We are ready to go for Portimao coming up this weekend. Um, this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Imola, which was now uh, about a week ago. I'm um, going to go through some recent headlines, just kind of what's going on, uh, and then Marco's got a little bit of a, of a cool story, a little nug for us from the Formula One world. So, Marco, how are we doing? How's life? Doing well. I just came back from a little vacation down in Florida, so I've got a hey, nice dog. tan. I know, I know. I going to say so, something. It's like, jeez. I, I know. I wish our <laughs> our viewers could check us out, but I guess next time. <laughs> this is great for everybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, hell, hell of a race in Imola, a lot of exciting things uh, all the way through qualifyings, through the race, so a lot of things that we're excited to talk about there. So apologies, I uh, had a great vacation, but apologies for this getting out a little late. Uh, we're still kind of going through the growing pains of figuring out some timings of when we're going to upload these episodes. Stick with us, slowly but surely we'll get it figured out. But with that being said, I think our, our first sector uh, we want to go through is the, the race recap that we had in Imola. Yep, absolutely. Um, first off, let's talk a little bit about qualifying. It was an impressive qualifying from Lando Norris. Um, got up into a great P2. His time, unfortunately, got deleted after he did. Uh, I think he went wide at turn. I mean, I don't remember the turn, but going wide gets your time deleted in qualifying, so that's what happened to Lando. Um, would have been awesome to see a Mercedes and a McLaren on the front row, um, but, you know, wasn't meant to be. He'll he'll get a shot. I, I think that was a good statement by Lando just to show, hey, you know, my car is good. I'm a good driver. You're going to see me kind of toward the top of the grid, not just not just in the middle. And then the only thing I had after that as far as qualifying is Yuki Tsunoda is quite a potty mouth. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he goes, uh, he called Sergio Perez the C word, which you don't hear a lot. You know, you hear a lot of bad words. Verstappen said the R word last season. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't want any of that. Uh, but yeah, he called Sergio Perez the C word. Uh, my only take on this was it was hilarious that the reasons that analysts were worried about Tsunoda coming in to Formula One were his maturity levels um, and his language barrier because of the importance of English in the sport. So it's hilarious that I think, like, you know, even a mature person can drop that C-bomb, but uh, it's hilarious that that C-word was one of those words that he seemed to be super comfortable using within within his kind of vo- vocabulary, so... Yeah, the, the entertaining part is you'd see some of these racers or just people in general when they kind of say no, no words that they know they shouldn't have said. There's that like remorse or that pause, that awkwardness. He did not have that at all. Yeah. So uh, I think that's just, <laughs> just like that. Like you said, yeah, just like, all right, this is like a normal word for me. You're going to keep hearing this. The radio didn't really have anything to say about it, too. I don't know if this is something that they just kind of chalk up and we'll, like, we'll say in person later and we'll work on that. But uh, definitely entertaining. I mean, we saw another video of him after they got to Imola about getting together in an early morning workout. And he just started acting like a little child, stomping his feet, saying he's not going to go. So he's in general just, yeah, a, a very funny guy. I, I, I love it for the sport. 
I think people are probably going to get a little frustrated and get triggered a little bit with some of the stuff he says, but man, it is, it is some funny entertainment for me. Yeah. The old gearhead saying, this is why you don't allow, you know, a 20 year old into the sport just because he acts like a seven year old, which in fairness, that video did him dirty. <laughs> like that was, that was <laughs> yeah. not a good showing from him, but yeah, I know if you're the team, you don't, you'd be like, Hey, like this makes him look like a little child. Yeah. And maybe we shouldn't <laughs> put this up. Maybe don't upload that. <laughs> it's kind um, of embarrassing. I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. That's qualifying. Uh, why don't you start off with the Grand Prix winner team, which is Red Bull? Yeah, I think looking at qualifying, especially on Saturday, they are extremely excited for how things went. Uh, qualifying two and three was really great. It showed, you know, Perez was able to show that speed in the car that they were kind of you know, back and forth on the first race and even, you know, working in the free practices as well as even the, the for Q1 and Q2, they put them on the softs for Q2. Obviously, it ended up mattering because everyone started off on, on the wets. But yeah, seeing him get Q2 to, to finish off, I think that was something really exciting. Obviously, he didn't play out in the race and he had his own struggles. But I think there, you know, there's some some hope for him. And you know, you just kind of see, especially with Imola, with being at such a tight track, it, it made it difficult, for, and with the wetness, made it difficult for, you know, passing and catching up some time. And I think he he kind of was pushing himself a little bit too much on, on trying to make up some time, seeing, you know, where he's at compared to, you know, seeing Max and having that big gap. But uh, I think it's still some, some growing pains. Definitely great to see, you know, even in the second race that his his speed has really improved and, you know, definitely promises for, for Red Bull. Yeah, definitely. You texted me when he uh, got that penalty and had that 10-second drive-through. It was like, this is the curse of the, the Red Bull second seat. Strikes again. I was like, man, I, I just hope not. Like, it's it's going to be such a bummer if he's another one that kind of falls to this uh, curse of being in the shadows of Max Verstappen. But, yeah, I think a lot to look forward to. Also for Mercedes moving on, got unlucky with a Botas crash when uh, George Russell got felt like he got pushed a little bit wide. One of his tires got into the wet stuff, and he kind of basically just, like, T-boned Bottas' car <laughs> from the right side. And so, yeah, as a team, unlucky with the, with the Bottas crash taking him out. It was a DNF, so no points. Other than Lewis Hamilton, of course, who came in second, we got a big reminder of why the seven-time world champ is the seven-time world champ. He, you know, got very, very... Unlucky by spinning out at one of the turns and then kind of got very lucky with the yellow flag that turned into a red flag that ended up bailing him out. But, you know, seeing him go from, I think it was like eighth or ninth, you know, up to up to second, just a, a good reminder of why he is, you know, the, the guy he is and why people hold him in such high reverence. Yeah, it really blows my mind. Uh, even there was a couple of races. I know at least one race where he ended up pretty back in the pack and he made up so many positions. I mean, it, it looked like he had an extra gear and even seeing this, you know, moving from, I, I believe it was, you know, ninth to second and, you know, not too many of laps remaining. Um, it, it just blows my mind. Cause you know, you look at some of these other drivers similar to Perez that you would hope to make up those positions. I mean, he was just blowing through these guys and it's crazy to say, it almost seems like when Lewis is, he's a, he's a better driver when he's not in the lead, even though, I mean, he's almost always in the lead. Yeah. Uh, it just, it, it's just wild to see him just understand and, and move around these guys so quickly. Moving on to McLaren, it really looks like Danny's getting a better feel with the car. Obviously Lando has had, you know, having great pace these first couple of weeks, him ending up in a podium was great to see. 
And, you know, and obviously Danny's pace wasn't nearly as up to par with Lando's as they, uh, you know, asked him to move over. But, you know, that was something that they seemed to be one of the favorites within that kind of that middle grouping. You know, I think even with more time, similar to Perez and, and a lot of the other new drivers in their new cars, he's only going to get better with these next couple races. So it was really promising to see uh, Lando just always an entertaining guy, same with Danny, and really showed some promise on, on the great pace with both qualifying and, and the final race results. Yeah, I think a key moment of that race was when Lando got the green light to pass Ricardo. So Ricardo just let him by because they thought Lando, they kind of wanted to see Lando's pace in clean air. That proved to be obviously extremely successful. It's awesome to see these two guys work together. Let's see these guys work together. I think when you have two extremely big personalities like Lando and Ricardo, um, man management is a phrase that I've heard just listening to uh, to some of these interviews. Like, how are you going to manage these people? Like, obviously they're great drivers, but can you manage, you know, an angry Ricardo or an immature Lando Norris? It seems like they're doing a pretty good job, and it seems like both of them are on the same page. All right, next up, Ferrari, uh, looking a little bit more like the Ferrari of old. Both of them finishing in the points is good to see because Sebastian Vettel, that was always kind of a toss-up last year of, of where he'd finish, you know, in the points or not. And then if he was in the points, never seemed to do too well, uh, you know, with, with a very few exceptions to that rule. A uh, lot of work to do for them, obviously, still. But, um, the again, the trajectory they're on is, is very favorable for what they're trying to do. I would think to see you know a little bit more Ferrari uh, on the podium, definitely more than we saw last year. Absolutely, I think they're almost on the exact same position as McLaren is. Uh, obviously, they have the there are two young drivers that are having great results, uh, and then you know these other drivers coming in, uh, really showing that they're picking up speed as well. Um, so I would say yeah, McLaren and, and Ferrari, in my guess, would be kind of the three four right now currently in the in these standings to to be uh, looking out for. Sure. And then lastly is AlphaTauri. Uh, it looked like that they're st- starting to put things together as well. Uh, their car definitely showed some pace. Uh, it looked like in kind of the free practice rounds that they were kind of on par with Ferrari and were kind of having some high expectations in qualifying and and in the race in general. It looked like the race didn't really kind of show that as much yuki definitely had some moments where he was being able to uh, show some pace and some speed uh same with gasly but uh similar to that first race it seemed like gasly definitely was just kind of a touch off kind of dragging behind kind of in that 9 to 14 range it looked like that he you know picked up some with a lot of the dnfs and these yellow and red flags he was able to kind of catch up but It'll be interesting to see. I don't think anyone's too worried with that, but it uh, was definitely something surprising to see with kind of both races, him being, you know, not the, the main focal point with this AlphaTauri team. Yeah, absolutely. I think Pierre, you know, got off on the wets for too long and then got kind of stuck and stranded on the wets. And then, again, the, the race before that, first race, he, he got his front wing clipped off by Ricardo. So, yeah, I, I think Gasly's just been unlucky. They have a good car, though, and so I think, you know, about middle of the season as they also start to figure it out. Other things about the race, we got old Mazaspin doing his thing, as he does. Um, Schumacher was 24 seconds behind Mazapin after he uh, banged up his front wing. That was at one point. 23 or so laps later, he was 42 seconds ahead of Mazaspin. So I think <laughs> you can look at this in two different ways. I think Mazapin is just simply not ready for a, for F1. A lot of a lot of uh, foreign 
commentators uh, were saying kind of similar things, both after seeing him race and after seeing him answer some interview questions. It's going to be so entertaining, man. Schumacher's this golden boy and Mazepin is the polar opposite. Um, just kind of seeing what they, you know, what they do and kind of their character arc for the rest of this season is going to be super interesting. Yeah, I'd say, you know, each team when they're looking for drivers, they really want to check out three boxes. You know, are they a good driver? Are they a good person that's captivating audiences in a positive way? And if they bring in some money, it seems like Mazepin is checking only one of these boxes. (laughs) He's still obviously very young and only time will tell. But at the moment, it definitely seemed like it's a move a little bit too early. But, you know, given Haas's situation might be something that, you know, their hands were kind of pressed in that situation. And it was also entertaining to see, you know, him saying after the first race, he got kind of that out of the system, understood, you know, what he had to do, and you won't be seeing that much more. And then I think, you know, there was multiple <laughs> spinouts in, in <laughs> FPs and in quals. Uh, so, I mean, clearly, you know, he thinks of himself highly, has to have that confidence, but uh, you got to show it on the track a little bit more before you can start making these these assumptions. He had some interviewer ask him, like, you know, thoughts on the spin and all that. And he was like, look, it's it's just not going to happen again. And sure enough, FP1, first time that they get out into Italy, uh, your boy takes it to a seven, I think a 720 degree turn. So we love it. Moving on. One that I love to talk about you with because uh, of your fantasy team having both Aston Martin and Sebastian Vettel. Vettel cannot catch a break, man. He is he is just going through it big time. To much of the detriment of your fantasy team and much of the detriment of uh, Sebastian Vettel fans. But breaking down and not being able to finish a race when you are one lap away is uh, is kind of a gut kick. I mean, even you're gonna beat both the Haas drivers i just feel like you know for his sake for everyone's sake just finish the fucking race you dick <laughs> uh, sorry i think you know that might be a little uh, subliminal anger uh, out of my side but yeah i mean i feel like he's really the one driver that i've seen that made moves over the offseason that i don't have confidence in him actually showing a ton of improvement <laughs> you can't do too much worse than he has so i mean there's definitely got to be a lot more room for improvement but I, I didn't love him on Ferrari. I thought, you know, it might be kind of his past his time. It doesn't seem like he was really, um, really didn't look like he was showing the results that you needed him to see. And, and to make that move for Ashton Martin, pick him over Perez, I thought was, you know, not a great idea. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, and there's still a lot of race left. But, um, I mean, it does not show too promising. There's not a lot of times where you're looking at him and he's trying to figure this out so we'll see uh real bummer to figure that out though yeah he's a he's a dad now man you know he's got three kids he's about ready to hang him up hang those racing boots up and uh yeah dude you can tell he's on his way out hopefully he can gain a little more pace for the rest of the season but just looks like i mean when you're getting like basically put in a body bag by lance stroll not to say that lance stroll is a terrible driver but you know you're a, you're a several time world champion. You should probably be picking it up a bit. Uh, next main talking point was super interesting because we saw a little bit of a crack in the in the George Russell armor. I think like he got you know he got the position of Grand Prix Drivers Association. What is it, president or chairman or, or you know head honcho of them, basically of the drivers as a liaison to the FIA. Um, and then not long after that. 
What do you think, man? Was it Bottas's fault or was it was it uh, George's fault? It could have been a little bit of both. I mean, it, I, if I were giving up percentages of who was in the wrong, I would say maybe 70% George. As you said, Bodas did maybe move a little bit into George. It didn't seem like it was enough where George really needed to go off the track. I didn't really see it. I've see, I feel like there's been so many closer instances from all the races that we've seen where it looks like they're about to touch, like they're or they are touching. It seems like, and it seemed like there was plenty of of room left. I think George might have rushed the rushed the move a little bit and got yeah. a little too timid and fell out. So yeah, I mean, I I feel like it, I would place the blame on George for sure. Yeah, I agree. It looked like Bottas was. It's tricky when you have that curve. Like Bottas may have been eking over to the right a little bit, but looked like George had space. I I agree, and uh, you know the, the result of that is George going over to Bottas, giving him a little smack on the head, and and Bottas giving him the finger right before that. So yeah, man, it's just good to see these drivers like in a in a human element, like seconds before you're you're flying down a straight at over 200 miles an hour and then you know you're i I think like the criticisms are funny because it's like if you have that much adrenaline it's a shock that george didn't you know punch him in the face and and, like get into the cockpit and start wrestling (laughs) around with him just because of all the you know a lot of adrenaline and and a lot of uh you know kind of nerves going through but yeah that was it was awesome to see man they're they're human just like us just like us marco just like us almost exact same Yeah, exactly. There's, what is the difference between us and an F1 driver? Dude? Put us in that cockpit. Yeah, if you put me in a car like that, you could see. I mean, I'm not going to do much worse than Mazepin. We'll <laughs> so we're basically the same. Other talking points. I think you called it in your predictions um, that Stroll was going to have a, a good race, and I kind of agreed with you just because – you know, he is known for his talent in the wet, but he had a rough day. His visor fogged up when it was wet. Uh, you know, his gear shift wasn't working well. He was complaining about that. Um, so, yeah, we both kind of sh- thought he'd shine in these wet conditions, but uh, it just kind of wasn't his day. Um, even his, his brakes were on fire in the pit lane at one point, and his race engineer was just like, drive fast so that it, the fire goes out, which is a, sure a terrifying thing to hear when you're smelling fire that's feet away from you. Are you sure? Are you yeah. sure? <laughs> are, you sure? Are, we, are we positive this is a good idea? <laughs> Lastly, both Haas drivers finished after Sebastian Vettel in the final results, um, even though, if you'll remember, Vettel was technically a DNF for the race, which is hilarious when both of your drivers who finished the race or you know didn't crash out finish behind uh, somebody who had a DNF. All right. I'll get off – last thing before I get off my soapbox. If that's the case, <laughs> don't you think fantasy points should be represented that way as well? Where like, hey, all right, we still beat two of the other guys that did finish the race. We should count it like that. I don't understand. Maybe we should like talk about this a little more, but it didn't seem like it added up to me. You're Coming. either going to DNF and you're, you're last or you fin- you beat these guys. You beat these guys. You should get those points. <laughs> well – I mean, coming from a totally non-biased perspective like yours, I think that should definitely be looked into. Yeah, I've actually been emailing that F1 fantasy group uh, quite often. <laughs> Nothing in return yet, but I'll keep I'll keep the listeners posted. <laughs> They're like, this guy won't stop emailing us about the stupidest <laughs> shit. Right, the, the threats are <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> um, all right, I think that is good for the first sector there. 
We want to give a quick nod to our sponsors. Without them, we couldn't make this possible. This episode of Eaton Asphalt is brought to you by Mazepin Laundromat. Uh, ever notice how your laundry could always be a little bit cleaner? Take your clothes down to Mazepin's Laundromat. Their mega spin technology is sure to wipe out any and all stains. One spin cycle with Mazepin's Laundry, and you'll see why it's not like any other. Whether it's ketchup, mustard, any chance of being respected as a worthy F1 driver, or even red wine, Mazepin's Spin Cycle will wipe it right out, so come on down to Mazepin Laundromat. Mazepin Laundromat, just keep spinning. Just a heads up, if you do have uh, a spill maybe in the breast area, uh, they do take it out in a different way. They do a little bit of a pre-initial squeeze before they put it actually into the, the laundry. So uh, that's kind of their, their big thing. So that could be a bugaboo for some people. This is where we get canceled as a podcast right here. That <laughs> He did it, not us. He did, he did it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks again to Mazepin Laundry. We appreciate them as a partner of ours. Next stop, moving into race headlines. First up, we, we don't have that many, uh, but first up, George does apologize for his actions with Valtteri Bottas. Not a way that any Grand Prix Drivers Association chairman, what do we decide? Chairman, president? All the above. Leader? All the above. Guru. Queen, we'll, we'll call it. Grand Prix Drivers Association queen should not act or comport themselves in that manner. So, yeah, obviously a super touched up by Williams PR team apology, uh, but got the Lewis Hamilton stamp of approval, so we forgive you. If Lewis is okay with it, everyone is okay with it. The next thing we have up is Formula One. I know we touched this, that they were in talks about bringing it in. And for Miami to host the Grand Prix last Sunday, it had been official that Miami is going to host the first Grand Prix in 2022. And it's going to be the start of a 10-year deal. It's something very exciting, especially as you know the U.S. popularity has really been increasing over the last couple of years. And to see you know that really show up in uh, F1 is really exciting. Something that you know, we'll hopefully be able to go and check out. You know, another great thing is they're still going to be keeping the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin. I think that the idea is for, you know, the first half of the year to, to have it in Austin and the second half of the year after the break to to have it in Miami or vice versa. And uh, very excited to see, you know, the beautiful views of Miami, the beautiful, curvy, sexy, potentially circularly altered views. Uh, so that's something that I think everyone has to keep an eye out when they do check out Miami and uh, the track and something that I know we will definitely be keeping an eye out. Yeah, we're and you're a noted view lover, right? I, I think I remember hearing that about you. Yeah, no, that's something that uh, I think I've been known for. Just a view lover. Uh, I'm not a grabber, as you know, some people right. around the racetrack might think. So. <laughs> and finally, we have the European Super League for F1. If you haven't heard about this, uh, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull are all separating to make their own Super Formula One League. And as I say that, I'm just now getting a notification that plans have been canceled. So... We will uh, keep you updated there, but sounds like that's not short-lived. Yeah. So um, yeah, that that does it for our headlines here. That part of the podcast was brought to you by the Calm app. There are always times in your life where you wish you could have handled situations better. I think that goes for all of us. For instance, you know, a random example, top of my head, you're racing in a, maybe let's say a Formula One car, and you may have accidentally caused a wreck, but you want to blame it on the other driver. You know, you thought it was his fault. And instead of, you know, maybe throwing your steering wheel out of the car, marching over to him, yelling at him, kind of giving him a slap on the head, use the comment to breathe, take some time to reflect 
and you'll save yourself from looking like a total idiot because you'll realize, hey, I think it might be my fault. Use a call map, use code don't pull a George at checkout, and you'll save 15% off your order. Yeah, we appreciate that from the call map. Always uh, a good sponsor. Been here since day uh, day one, I want to say. Well, I would say it's been here since the day after this po- this last race. Yes. Which would have been coming in huge handy for maybe some people prior to the race. So our our last segment, our last sector that we have is just a little cool story with this past week and um, having some extra time. So this week's story, uh, we wanted to take a little blast from the past and talk about Ayrton Senna, the famous Ayrton Senna, three-time world champion. And if you don't know much information about him, he was typically a very serious driver on the track as well as off the track during interviews. And so this is actually a pretty interesting story and set of stories about him and his teammate, Gerhard Berger. So him and Berger were teammates from 1990 to 1992. And Berger, unlike Senna, was a very big prankster, big personality as well. And he was actually someone to really get that out of Senna. They actually did a number of pranks with each other throughout the years. And so I just wanted to take you through a couple of these pranks. So the the first one is uh, both drivers were staying in a hotel about 40 miles away from the Monza circuit uh, where the Italian GP was taking place that weekend. Uh, this happened in September of 1991. To make the journey a little easier to the circuit instead of taking a car, they ended up taking a helicopter along with Ron Dennis, who was the president, and Ron Dennis's wife. And while on the plane, obviously, they have some of their luggage with them. One of those objects was uh, Senna's new briefcase, which was made out of high-tech carbon composites. And according to Senna, he had made the claim that it was virtually unbreakable. Obviously, with that being said, in order to lighten the mood, Berger slowly opened the helicopter door and threw Ayrton Senna's briefcase full of papers when the helicopter was about 150 meters above the ground, out of the helicopter. So uh, very good prank, you know, just to, to give the old, you know, how you ever see those um, those iPhone commercials where they toss it off 100 feet, you know, just something similar to that, you know. And and I, obviously Ayrton was uh, more worried about flying in the helicopter than getting and getting to the track, so he actually didn't see him toss out his briefcase. And so when they actually landed, he was kind of looking around and couldn't find the briefcase. The toll, he saw the guy in charge of the helipad and was immediately suspicious of Berger. He stepped out of the helicopter and only realized that it had been thrown out when the helipad's employee showed up carrying it. The briefcase actually didn't end up uh, exploding or anything, but due to the impact, all of a sudden, his pins had exploded and his papers were covered in ink. Uh, so, so yeah, it really showed him. And uh, to get Berger back, uh, Senna actually filled his shoes up with shaving foam on their way to a fancy dinner. Berger had to show up with sneakers under his suit, and then Berger then got back to him by taking revenge by buttering all of Senna's shoes. So they had another dinner, which made him extremely late to the party, uh, obviously trying to walk around on buttered shoes. You can't move that quick. Another good prank. So there was actually a dinner party held by McLaren in Australia in 1990. People were getting a little drunk, started pushing each other in the pool. Ayrton wasn't really having it and fled to his hotel room, but after throwing half a glass of water on Burger. So, I mean, not, you know, not a huge deal, but obviously with this prankster, I think that was just challenge on for him. So they were him and with the help of Ron Dennis's wife, they were able to create an extension of the fire extinguisher and pointed it underneath the door of Senna's room. And at 3 a.m. in the morning, 
they opened up the valve and flooded his room and actually sent out, ended up jumping out of the hotel room window. The whole room was completely <laughs> wrecked, which, yeah, you're kind of worried maybe about, you know, his his health and his safety on that one. And they said that it actually looked like a bomb had exploded inside the room. So, I mean, just really going all out with something so small as to pour a half a glass of water on someone to just destroy his entire hotel room. You know, you're taking it up to the next step. Yeah, a bit of like an in, you know, bit drastic of a reaction if someone throws water on you and you think that their room exploded. (laughs) Right, right, right. Uh, He's like, well, you started it. You know, that's kind of the the (laughs) go-to. Another another one was they were in Australia with Senna, McLaren's boss, Ron Dennis, and uh, his wife, Lisa. And so when Berger was taking a run through uh, the evening, there was a golf course that he was running through, and these giant big frogs were jumping around. So he went to the concierge, gave the guy a hundred bucks and said, bring me as many as you can. And so the guy came back and brought a whole bag. It was about, he said about 50 and asked uh, Lisa Dennis to help him. So, so at dinner, he swiped Ayrton's room key, went to the room and put these frogs everywhere. And the next morning, Senna confronted him furious, obviously. And this just shows to kind of how lackadaisical and you know carefree burger was his response was and where did you find the snake and so uh senna's response to that was he put a really smelly piece of french cheese into burger's air ducts so even when classic yeah and it's funny just even when you see you know a big prank by one side uh by burger side Ayrton, you know does something very minuscule and vice versa it just seems like burger was just kind of the prankster on this and didn't mind taking it a step or seven too far. Um, the, the last prank that I'm going to talk about is personally by far my favorite. Uh, so Berger was able to get a, a hand on Ayrton's passport and ended and managed to cover up Senna's picture with a equivalent sized piece of male genitalia. Uh, instead of the face of his passport and typically obviously these drivers when they're going through customs they pretty much you know walk through and get in easily obviously it's Ayrton Senna so especially him of of most people very easy process so uh, when he went into this airfield in Argentina where customs was they checked his passport and obviously he was not a giant-sized dick uh, as the picture showed and so he actually ended up uh, getting a 24-hour detention. And after getting out, Berger initially blamed uh, Senna's old rival, Alan Prost, by this act. Uh, Senna eventually found out and took revenge by gluing all of Berger's credit cards together. So, um, you know, obviously just an unfortunate thing that you have to call the credit card company, especially back then, and kind of get that figured out. But, um, yeah, those were kind of some of the major ones that we had seen. It's always nice to see some personality within the drivers and some of the fun stuff that they're doing off the track, especially with a legend like Ayrton. And uh, may he rest in peace. But, uh, you know, it was great to kind of look back on, on those days and, and show that he was still, you know, loving the sport and loving what he was doing with his teammates. Just boys being boys is what it sounds like. The to ultimate me. No boys being there. boys sport right there. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Good stuff. Very time appropriate to be you know uh, as you could call it celebrating Ayrton Senna on the uh, you know on the on the back half of Imola where he met his demise mm-hmm. um, all right that'll do it for this uh, fourth episode of Eaton Asphalt 
Uh, appreciate you listening if you're still listening. Um, I'm honestly kind of impressed if you're still listening, so thank you for supporting me and Matthew in the way that you do. And uh, I think that's everything from our end. Any last thoughts to wrap it up, Marco? No, just um, be on the lookout sometime later this week. Uh, we want to talk about the upcoming race, some changes, some recent changes that we um, – some recent changes that the FIA has recently come out with. Uh, so we're going to go more in-depth to that later in the week. So uh, be on, on the lookout for that and excited to uh, you know move on to the next week. Bang. All right. Well, appreciate everybody listening. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.